The Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition, is sponsored by worldjewishtravel.org, the number one platform for planning your Jewish cultural trips. From the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. And a very good morning to you, David. Good morning to you too, Mark. I don't know if you can hear in the background, but that's a train. Choo-choo! A steam train without the steam. (laughs) Barcelona Sand Station. Yes. Waiting for our train. What are we doing in Barcelona? We've been here before. Here it's just a stopping off point. We've just arrived in Barcelona and we're heading about two hours north to start with on a journey that is part of a much bigger journey. The Tourism Board of Catalonia have launched a new project. It's called the Grand Tour of Catalonia. It's an opportunity to take a car and drive for 13 days all around Catalonia and see what Catalonia has to offer. Talking about 2,000 kilometers, which is what, about 1,300 miles, give or take as a guess. It's a great place to see those countryside, those villages, amazing foods, wines, local crafts. We're just gonna go uh, for this podcast to two destinations. The tourist board have a website that accompanies the whole Grand Tour. It breaks down each of the sections, it breaks down the routes, it provides you with a music track to listen to while you drive. We're going to go to section five, which is called From Surrealism to Modernism, and starts in the home of Salvador Dali, takes in the home of Nachmanides, the Runbun, and finishes up in Barcelona, which is famous for Antony Gaudi's architecture. We're going to start off with a single question, and that question is as follows. Ramban, or Nachmanides, may have spent much of his time in Girona that we will be visiting, but where was he buried? Let's go get our train. Choo-choo! Ever wish there was a Jewish trip advisor? Visit worldjewishtravel.org for a one-stop shop to plan your Jewish cultural vacation at destinations around the world. Find local tours and guides, discover authentic restaurants and boutique hotels, all with a Jewish story to tell. Don't miss events with our unique cultural calendar, or simply absorb a city's Jewish story with our blogs and travel e-books. Start your journey at worldjewishtravel.org. We've arrived in our first port of call, which is the small town of Figueres. It's about an hour to two hour train journey north of Barcelona, depending on whether you take an express train or the more local train. It's a small town, as I say, it's attractive. The main reason people come here is because this is the home of Salvador Dali. More on that in a few minutes, because we first of all came to a place for a bite to eat, and to be honest, to see an incredible museum at the same time as we're eating our lunch. The first stop of our tour is the Hotel Duran. The hotel in the center of Figueres was a meeting place for Dali. He would bring all his friends here, and at the hotel behind the restaurant, there is still a room preserved 
with barrels. I'm not sure if it's in use or not. I think it's set up and looks like it's ready for use. But there are eight or nine barrels of vintage wine and vinegar and Moscato. And above those barrels, there are pictures of Salvador Dali in the restaurant. And this is where he would come and entertain. Behind, I don't know if you went in as quite as far as I went, there is a well, but I don't believe it's an original well. I think it's made to look like a well. But behind that, there is an extensive red wine cellar. The hotel was, I think, built in 1855. But because of Dali, it's got these little eccentric Dali-esque touches. The plants on the tables all have little coloured caps on them, different coloured caps. And if you look at the chandeliers, they're Mm. in a blue glass, just to give it that not completely classic look so the decorations are wonderful the photographs all around many of them include Dali there's also some of the chefs from the past and so on just to give you an idea if you eat vegetarian food the types of things that they will provide grilled vegetable crock pot a cream of vegetables dried rice with mushrooms sauteed vegetables and fettuccine with soy sauce and everything in this restaurant is presented beautifully. If you want more details of the hotel, go to hoteldurand.com. I'm Maria. I'm tour guide in Girona and Figueres. I'm Italian, uh, but I moved here to Catalonia 17 years ago and I work as a local tour guide. I've been working here for the last six years. Most great painters, great artists become famous after they have gone to meet their maker, ascended to heaven, Mm -hmm. that they've probably painted many times. Today we're talking about somebody who was famous in his own lifetime. Who are we talking about? We are going to talk about Salvador Dali. Salvador Dali, probably the most popular Spanish painter. Famous during his lifetime, it's true. It's an unusual uh, event. It happened to Picasso maybe, but Dali managed to, to become even more famous than Picasso because he wanted to be rich, among other things. <laughs> there was a part of him very spiritual and a part of him very materialist. I'm sure that he wouldn't have wanted to become famous after death, no. So we've strolled here from a very nice lunch at the Hotel Duran. We passed a small museum on the way with a couple of pictures of Dali and a teddy bear. And now we've come to what looks like a theater. And outside the theater, there are some very strange sculptures. Do you want to explain about the building, about the small building we saw on the way up? On our way to Dali's museum, we walked past the Figueras Museum of Toys. It's a very special museum because it's a collection of toys and the most important object in the museum is a teddy bear that belonged to Salvador Dali when he was a child. And now we are in front of the Theatre Museum Dali. It looks like a theatre because it was actually, it was a theatre. It was the theatre of the city of Figueras and Dali chose this building to create his museum for very specific reasons. First of all, he considered himself a theatrical artist. So theatre was a proper place to exhibit his paintings. Second, he had been baptised in the church that's nearby the museum, in front of the museum, St. Peter's Church. And third reason, when he was 14, so when he was very young, he held his first exhibition in town theatre, in the, in the local theatre, so in the same place where he would create his theatre years later. 
There's another reason why he loved this place. This place, uh, in the 60s, when he decided to create his museum in Figueras, this place was in ruin. The theatre had been destroyed by fire during the Civil War and Dali was fascinated by the ghostly aspect of the museum and by the fact that it had been ruined by fire because fire is purifying. So he would be the one who gave a new life to a place purified by fire. The exterior of the, the theatre museum, there are some surrealist sculptures, but just above the door, there's an old diving suit that doesn't look that surrealist. <laughs> well, it's a real diving suit that Dali wore on a special occasion in the 30s when, when he took part to a, uh, into a conference on surrealism in London. And he entered the room to give his conference dressed in that diving suit. But he forgot to open the oxygen valve, so he was dying. He was losing, he was fainting. But fortunately, his wife Gala, who was very smart and knew him so well, she understood that something was going wrong because other people thought that it was just Dolly uh, pulling out faces, you know, some strange weird thing that he like to do but Gal understood that something was going wrong and he helped him so he decided to put this this diving suit at the entrance of the museum because in a way he's warning visitors he's telling them that they are going to uh, explore their subconscious world Maria let's go inside this is the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. We've already been in the museum for about half an hour and we're only about 15 metres away from the main entrance because I've got the impression that everything we look at not only is something to be appreciated for its artistic value but also much more for its deeper meaning we've had so many ideas in the few minutes that we've been here but mark was saying that he sometimes gets ideas in his sleep and wishes he was awake to to write them down dali had a solution for that didn't he maria oh yeah dali had a special strategy to remember his dreams for dali the his oniric production was extremely important because actually what he did was uh, painting his dreams and in order to remember his dreams he used to have a siesta he used to have an afternoon nap every day he would put a spoon, a silver spoon, in, into his mouth before falling asleep so that when he would fall asleep, opening his mouth, the spoon would fall and the noise would wake him up and he would remember his dream and it, that was extremely important to paint. Sleeping was part of his, of his job. So we've already started talking about the mind and you've admitted that you know, you'll see things uh, just generally in life and suddenly the, the penny will fall and you'll realise somehow through something that you've learnt about Dali, the significance of the moment that you're in and so on. Because you spend so much time in this world, how much has Salvador Dali got into your head? Working in Dali's museum is in a way receiving constantly prompts and stimulations about things or idea I hardly think about, like for example this issue of sleeping or the issue of knowledge contained in empty spaces that it took me 
ears to understand you know, what does it mean. At the entrance of Dali's museum, there are some sculptures of women with a hollow in their solar plexus because he said that meaning is contained in empty spaces. And suddenly I realized that it's true. It's when you don't think, with, when your mind is switched off, that you understand the most important things of this life. In front of us, um, on either side, are two pictures. One, a self-portrait of Dali, I think called the soft self-portrait. And opposite that is a portrait of Picasso. As we've gone round here, we've spoken about Dali and his difficult relationships with people, with other artists, with family. Only people, as you say, he respected were scientists. How does this gallery tell that story? Dali, uh, he, he himself decided uh, where to put uh, every single painting until he was alive. And he decided to place Picasso's portrait in front of his own portrait uh, for a specific reason. Picasso, he was a great admirer of Picasso. Actually, he's represented on a pedestal. But on his head, Picasso is bearing a rock because Picasso is bearing the responsibility of breaking with academic art. For Dali, academic art was extremely important. He thought that artists needed to have a good technique. But after Picasso, uh, who invented Cubism, no artist will dare look back uh, to academic art. So in front of Picasso, there's a portrait of Dali who is the Salvador, the savior. Luckily, Salvador, the savior, arrived to save art and his portrait is soft and is eaten by ants, by insects, because he's nutritious and his knowledge he can nurture uh, people's soul and people's mind. In this, in this room, this is a, fish, a fishmonger's room because it was a former uh, fisherman market in Figueras when the theater was destroyed. There are many paintings of his early and late period and a, a couple of paintings of his family, of his sister Ana Maria. Uh, he had a very good relationship with her until he met Gala, his wife, and a, a portrait of his father, very serious. You can tell from the portrait that um, he was quite authoritarian man. They had a difficult relationship, although his father helped him a lot in his studies. We can say that Adali was a very was really indulged. Was he was a spoiled child. But maybe he was too rebel and eventually he did too many things that uh, really wounded his father and eventually he disinherited him. So it's like Dali all his life tried to provoke people and to provoke conflict because he did it uh, all over his life with his family, with uh, Catalonia, with Spanish society. It's like he needed to be talked about. Between the portraits of Picasso and Dali, there are two optical illusions. One of them represents DNA. He was extremely interested in all the latest scientific discoveries or experiments and he was delighted when he heard about the discovering of the DNA because he thought that the DNA is the clear, the logical, the rational demonstration of the proof of the existence of God. He said that the DNA is 
uh, Jacob's ladder, the angels are the ribonucleic acid. So he met Watson, one of the two scientists who discovered the DNA, and he shared with him that the discovery of the DNA is the clear proof that God exists. But of course, Watson was thought the opposite, that it was the demonstration that God does not exist. Listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition with Mark Gordon and David Harris. We've climbed up not too many stairs, otherwise, Mark wouldn't have been able to make it to the third floor of the Dali Museum or Dali Museum, and we've come to an exhibition called Aliyah. 1968. For those of you who don't know, Aliyah, literally it means to raise up, to go up, but it's the word that uh, Jewish people use for going to the land of Israel and moving there to live. Why? Dali was commissioned this series of lithographs to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the creation of the, the, the State of Israel. We have it exhibited here now permanently, even if I would say they traveled to Israel in 2013. From these pieces, you can tell that Dali was really informed about the contemporary story and the contemporary events concerning Israel, but also about the Bible, because many of them are inspired by the Bible. There, there are both hints at the biblical events and uh, contemporary events, like, for example, the Declaration of the State of Israel by Ben-Gurion. There is a portrait, actually, of ben- one, one of them represents Ben-Gurion reading, the declaring the State of Israel, as well as a representation of the ship Elihau Golomb, who brought back many people to, to Israel. And uh, all of them, I would say, with a high sensitivity to the events that took place in the 20th century. Catalonia Fact File Barcelona's main airport, El Prat, is the main international gateway to Catalonia and the second busiest airport in Spain. It's a hub for Vueling and Level and a focus city for Air Europa, EasyJet, Norwegian Air Shuttle and Ryanair. There are five weekly direct flights from Tel Aviv, while there are flights to 10 UK destinations. It also has two direct connections with New York operated by Delta and United, with Miami via American Airlines. Girona Airport is located some 45 miles northeast of Barcelona, with the majority of flights from Ryanair. It takes around one hour and 20 minutes by train from El Prat to Girona. The 607 bus runs every hour from Girona Airport to Girona, The journey takes around 30 minutes. It's also a half-hour train ride from Girona Central Station to Figueres. We stayed at the comfortable Hotel Ciutat de Girona in Girona, just a few minutes walk from the old town, and we visited the historic Hotel Duran in Figueres. One US dollar will buy you approximately one euro. January is the coldest month, reaching 12 degrees Celsius, 54 Fahrenheit during the day. August is the warmest month, with a temperature around 31 degrees Celsius, 88 Fahrenheit during the day. Girona offers lots of great tapas bars. At the Reserva Aspai Gourmet Delicatessen, you can buy something inside, cheeses, wines, pretty much anything else, and then eat it at the tables provided outdoors. The Hotel Duran offers fine dining in Figueres. Vegan and vegetarian restaurants in Girona include B12, Bionecta, and Amaranta.
we've hot-footed it out of Figueres and headed down the road to Girona. We're staying at the Hotel Ciutat de Girona with the wonderful blank restaurant inside. It's just a minute or so away from the old city. And we're about to head out once again to meet up with the wonderful Maria to learn about the history of this city and particularly we're going to learn about its Jewish background. But before we do, Mark, we should probably sum up what we heard and saw with that man Salvador Dali. He's mad. <laughs> You've gone all crazy. You've joined He's the club. crazy. <laughs> what did you think? It was a really interesting two, two and a half hours we spent there. We could have spent all day there. Absolutely, without uh, doubt. Salvador Dali, when he designed his gallery, insisted that there were no guides, no explanation. He wanted people to go in there and think for themselves. But I think going around with a guide is an absolute must. Today, there, absolutely. There were so many things that if you didn't know what you were doing, you would never find out what was happening. There was a whole room with a bed and a sofa and a viewing lens. And if you looked at the room, it was just a, a slightly wacky room with a sofa that looked like a set of lips, a couple of pictures on the wall. But looking at it through a lens, all of a sudden you see Mae West. All sorts of rooms morphed into something else, or the images did. I think we saw a picture where Dali took an octopus and threw it at the wall multiple times. Multiple times, absolutely. And a living octopus, I believe. Well, it probably wasn't living by the time he threw it at the wall that many times. But the octopus ink, the octopus stain on the blank canvas ended up giving you the face of Beethoven. The whole place was wacky. Maria has been a tremendous guide thus far. Let's see if she knows Girona as well as she knows Figueres. Hi, this is David Harris from the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at markdavidpod at gmail.com. I thought that the Museum of Salvador Dali was busy, but that is nothing compared to what's happening in Girona because we've arrived in the city right at the start of the annual flower festival. Have you got any idea how many people are meant to come through the city or how many thousands come each year? Well, no idea yet, but... We expect to have thousands of visitors after two years because this is the first time after two years that we celebrate again the Flower Festival 100% because we could not celebrate last year inside the inner patios and inner courtyards and people are really well, craving and longing to go out and see the flowers of Girona. I assume that the building we're standing in front of is the most famous building in Girona, the cathedral. That's the, when you want to buy the souvenirs, that's the image that you see. Tell us a little bit about its history. It's a huge building that can be seen even from the highway. Too big maybe compared to what was the population in Girona in the Middle Ages, but it's representative of the power that the church had in the past. The cathedral is uh, in the same place where the Roman temple was. Girona is a city founded by the Romans, so they built a temple on top of a hill. And on that same spot, a Romanist cathedral was built in the year uh, 1000 and then a Gothic cathedral. It took 400 years to finish the cathedral. Actually, on, on the facade, 
we can read the date 1733 but they started building it in 14th century and uh, this cathedral is famous because it's the second largest nave in the world after St. Peter in Rome uh, or the first Gothic nave in the world because it's 23 meters wide it means that there are no columns inside and it's supported by huge buttresses from the outside looking up at the cathedral the stairs are draped in flowers uh, greens and purples and uh, not not evenly draped there, there seems to be a theme going on here do you want to tell us why there are flowers over the stairs and what they represent this year they represent the waves of the sea because they want to bring back to our memories the a very important person in Girona. His name was Giuseppe Terres who passed away last year and he was a poet. Actually he was the man who brought back the memory of the Jewish heritage in Girona and contributed to rediscover this heritage. And he wrote a poem about the cathedral comparing the cathedral to a ship that's sailing on the waves of the sea. So this here, uh, his wife, Pia Crozet, decided to decorate the steps of the cathedral, recalling the waves of the sea. We can even hear the sound. The cathedral in Spain and the Jewish community are inextricably linked. Wherever there was a cathedral, there were Jews. Wherever there were Jews, there was a cathedral. Let's go and have a look at some of the stories of the Jewish quarter here. Yes, sure. In Girona, the story is very interesting because we have documents of the arrival of the first 25 Jewish families. The first synagogue was in the corner of what is the cathedral now, but the issue is that when they arrived, there was no cathedral because they arrived in the 9th century and the cathedral was built in, at the end of the 10th century. So the community, the Kai, the Jewish quarter, developed right next to the cathedral and many times it has been source of conflict, of course, because in order to reach the cathedral, Christians' processions had to walk through the Jewish quarter. That's why it had to be gated during Easter in the Middle Ages. Because Girona is in the middle of its flower festival, a lot of the houses that you wouldn't normally see have opened up. We've come to Casa Kundora, which is a former Jewish house that's now been turned into holiday apartments, but it has a few interesting stories. When we walked in, there was a flower display, a key with a mug and David and a cross on it, and basketball players and basketballs in front. Can you tell us the link between basketballs and Stars of David? <laughs> Girona is the link because Girona is very proud of its Jewish heritage and is very proud of its basketball team. Girona basketball team is doing quite well and its president is Marc Gasol, a former NBA basketball player, uh, together with his brother Pau. Pau and Marc Gasol are both Catalan. So the, the, the Basketball Girona is taking part to the, the Flower Festival this year because they want to uh, increase the knowledge of, of basketball among, among young people and spread this culture in Girona. But it's not the only sporting link to this house, is it? There's a link to Barcelona Football Club as well. The owner at present bought the house 10 years ago from the president of Barcelona Football Club, Juan Laporta. So Laporta and his family belonged this house and they sold the building to the owner 
that turned it into a beautiful holiday apartment in the very heart of old Girona. You're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. As with so many European ancient cities, the views, of course, are stunning because a lot of the building here was high up on the uh, sides of the hills for defensive reasons. We've just crossed from an actual Roman wall, which must stand, looking at it now, 30 feet high, and we've switched onto the medieval wall, which dates back to approximately the 14th century. Well, the Roman wall covered a small area, much of which was of the Jewish neighbourhood, the Kai. The medieval wall covered a much, much larger area of the city. At the time, it's thought that there were about a thousand Jews living here in the golden age of the Jewish community, about a tenth of the community. Just in front of me is an old historic church, which was also the seat of the Inquisition. A man named Aymeric headed the Inquisition. And the Inquisition in Catalonia happened more than a hundred years before the Inquisition in the rest of the Iberian Peninsula. And the Jewish people in this part of the world suffered about a hundred years before that date that you know of 1492. You've got to go back to 1391 to hear of the uh, destruction of the Jewish communities. And you can learn much more about that in the episode of our podcast that we created when we visited Barcelona just a few months ago. So from the hustle and bustle of outside, we've now come into this quiet echoey chamber of one of the larger i think it was a house in girona but it obviously plays a significant part in the jewish story of girona can you tell us where we are what the building is and what this room is specifically we are in the museum of jewish history in girona and the museum is located in the same place where several houses belonging to jewish families were in the middle ages these houses were abandoned when they were obliged to to leave and they were bought by the municipality of Girona in the 80s with the purpose of researching and bringing back to our knowledge this uh, rich heritage that's our heritage because if many of them didn't leave uh, in the 15th centuries because many of them converted and changed its surname it means that many of us have Jewish or Muslim ancestors because both Jewish and Muslim were expelled in 1492. This place is really special, really interesting for both people who want to know the the history of the Jewish community of Girona and for people who don't know anything about it because it explains all the rituals and celebrations belonging to this religion. And this room, the room we are in, is really special because we are in a room full of gravestones 29 gravestones to be precise that were found in what had been the Jewish uh, cemetery not far from the the city. Uh, The Jewish cemetery was found in a place called Monjuic, the mountain of the Jews. At the end of 19th century working to build the railway, uh, workers found these stones with these strange letters they, they couldn't understand and luckily they called a priest who uh, understood that this was something really meaningful 
they have been uh, preserved since then. And one of the reasons why the museum was built was to give a proper place to these gravestones. That's probably the biggest collection in Spain. Perhaps the most famous Jewish son of Girona was Nachmanides, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman. Tell us a little bit about the man, his connection to the city and his story. Moshe ben Nachman was born in Girona, known in Catalan language as Bonastruc, Saporta, as every other Jewish citizen they had two names, one in Hebrew and one in Catalan. He was born in 13th century in Girona and he was probably the most important representative of Jewish community in Girona ever because of his knowledge, because of his wisdom. The king had him in great esteem, actually. He was a counselor of the king and a big scholar of Kabbalah. Kabbalah uh, was brought to Girona by Mose ben Ahman and his group of followers and he uh, developed this school of Kabbalah that wanted to avoid the secret and wanted to to make it clear to as much as people as, as possible. And Mose ben Ahman uh, decided when he was more than six years old, he decided to go to Jerusalem. It was a personal choice. He didn't run away. He wanted to die in the land of his ancestors. So he landed to Jerusalem where there were no other Jewish people, but he could find nine men plus him. He created what is today the second oldest synagogue in Jerusalem. You can find that synagogue, if ever you visit Jerusalem, right in the heart of the old city. Once upon a time, it was only an arch, but today it is a a tremendously large synagogue. Mark and I, in a recent podcast when we were in Barcelona, saw the other side of this story because we visited the place where the Great Disputation took place, where Nachmanides was challenged by the king and the inquisitor. Yeah, the inquisitor called Pau Cristia, a Dominican friar, actually was a converted Jew. And the disputation was among these two wise people. And James I said, hearing, listening to Moshe ben Nachman, said, I have never seen anyone defending so well a lost cause, because he was really, really impressed by, by his wisdom. The museum does contain a personal item of the Ramban. Yes, it does. You can see in this museum a ring that belonged to him, a ring that he used to seal documents with his name, Moshe ben Nachman, and the sentence, be brave or never lose your courage. We've had a wonderful time learning about Figueres and Girona, of course, for our Jewish listeners, hearing about the history of the the Jewish quarter, the Kai, here in Girona is particularly special. We've learned all of this from a wonderful guide, Maria Rizzolo. Thank you so much indeed for all of your time. Thank you, because I learned so much from you. You are amazing. I really hope that this podcast reach as many people as possible and these people come and visit us and discover this beautiful city.
if people want to see Girona with you, Figueres or other places in the region, how do they get in contact with you? They can contact the Association of Licensed Guides in Girona, La Asociación de Guías de Girona. We have a web page and we are a group of licensed and experienced guides. We will be happy to show you the beauty of this place. Maria, thank you very much. Thank you. Una ampolla de cava si os plau. Gracias, señor. Or, as they say in this part of the world, salut. Salut. Probably pronounced salut, isn't it? Everybody's looking at us as we sit at this cafe. People are smiling and laughing knowingly. Mainly laughing, and it's not knowingly. It's L- look at those foreigners. Sympathetically. <laughs> <laughs> Our time is at an end. How often do we say that? About once every episode. It's, which is great, but... Uh, I wish it was just beginning. We have had a wonderful time in Catalonia. Again. Again, uh, doing our mini sample of the Grand Tour of Catalonia. If you want more information on the Grand Tour, go to grandtour.catalunya, spelled C-A-T-A-L-U-N-Y-A, dot com. Grandtour.catalunya.com. If you have enjoyed our podcast... Then, as we always say at this point, please, please share, subscribe, post about it. And if you could send us a lovely message, that would be fantastic. Big thanks as well to the Catalonia Tourist Organization, particularly Marta, who organized this for us, and the Costa Brava Tourism Organization, who have helped host us in Girona and Figueres. And a big thank you, of course, to Maria Rizzolo, who showed us around this part of the world uh, and gave her all. She really is a pleasure. So if you do want a, an excellent tour guide from this part of the world, she's great. And the website for Maria and her colleagues at the Association of Guides of Girona is guiesdegirona.com. That's spelt G-U-I-E-S-D-E-G-I-R-O-N-A. Guies de Girona. Quiz question? Okay. So we asked you, only one this time, and as you've heard, we've been talking a lot about Nachmanides, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman. And the question was, where did he die? And the answer, not in Girona, not in Spain, but as you heard, or maybe we, did we mention that he went to Israel? Yes, we mentioned he went to Israel. Absolutely, we did. He went to Jerusalem, but he didn't die there. He died in St. Jean d'Aco. That's the one, or Acre, or Or Aco. He died on the coast in the north of Israel, and that's where he's buried, and you can visit his grave to this day. And if you want to know a little more about Akko, you can go to a previous podcast we did, Five Stories of Israel, in association with our sponsors, World Jewish Travel. That wraps it up for this podcast from Catalonia. We wish all of you very pleasant listening to all of our 30-plus podcasts to now, and hope you'll join us the next time on the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Adios. Goodbye from me too. The Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition is sponsored by worldjewishtravel.org, the number one platform for planning your Jewish cultural trips.